This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Welcome to the Noise Creators Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Cannon, and today I'm here with Joe Sib. You may know Joe because he runs a really rad label called Side One Dummy. He also has been in the band's Wax and 22 Jacks, and as well, he's been doing comedy as well as a podcast called Rad Parenting. We get into his thoughts on label stuff, making good music, how bands get his attention, as well as how he's crafted this comedy record and how he got into that endeavor and his whole background. I think it's pretty rad, and we get into a lot of stuff that has not been discussed on here before. Before we get started, I want to tell you about one of Jabberjaw's other podcasts. This podcast is one I listen to pretty regularly. It's called Managemental. It's two experienced managers and industry professionals, Blasco of Mercenary Management and bassist in Ozzy Osbourne's band and Zach Sabbath and Mike Mowry of Outer Loop Management bring you insight to their take on the modern day music business and how they mentally approach the profession of management. Week in and week out, they discuss hot topics in the music business for up and comers, the brand newbies, the beginners and aspiring rock stars of tomorrow, helping them uncover some of the mystery that is challenging business of rock and roll. As well, I want to remind you, my new book is out. It's called Processing Creativity, the Tools, Practices, and Habits Used to Make Music You're Happy With. It goes deep on the creative process and how to avoid the creative pitfalls that musicians fall in while they're trying to make good songs. It's getting a ton of praise. It's doing really well, and I want to keep that going. So I want to ask, one, for you to check it out. Two, if you have checked it out, I really need reviews on Amazon. So if you can help me out with that, I would really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and here's the interview with Joe. Hey, one second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service, and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones. And if you're one of the best ones, we're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out, and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. Tell me about your background and how you got to where you are today. Uh, My whole background in Northern California. Grew up in Northern California. Northern California. Moved down to L.A. when I was probably, um, I just graduated from college. 
So I came down here uh, in early 90s. I mean, my whole background originally started out in Santa Cruz Mountains. Um, my parents owned a, uh, they, they had an idea to like have a horse ranch because they were from the East Coast. And they were really into like getting away from the East Coast and kind of breaking away from everything that they were raised to do on the East Coast, which at that time was like, get married, have a family, get a job. They were like, let's do something different. And they were like, we're, we're, we're going to bail to California. So they came out to California. They moved to Santa Cruz Mountains. And that basically um, ended up becoming the time that I – that's like where I would really got into – hearing music for the first time and whether it was the music my parents were playing, it was the seventies. So there was a lot of music that different people they were um, hanging out with were, were, were coming in. And I was hearing a lot of that. And that really kind of dictated like the music I got into as a kid. And then when my parents got separated, I moved in with my dad and I moved in with him when I was about 15 or I'm sorry, about 13 years old. And that really got me at that point um, he lived close to a skateboard park. And at that point, the skateboard park, I started going there. And that's where I started hearing bands that would change my life, you know, from the Ramones to Black Flag. And that was really the gateway. Mm. So how does that get you into playing in a band? You know, I was always into music and I started going to shows when I was a kid and I was in the right place at the right time when like punk rock hit the suburbs. It was in the early 80s and I was going to shows seeing everyone that would come through the Bay Area and that was the clubs were like the on Broadway, the map, uh, Gilman Street was starting to happen and I would just go to all of these shows and I was the kid that would pay full price and just get there from the beginning of the night to the end and and you know at one point I remember one night in between bands the guy that was running the stage was like dude you know you're more into it than the guy singing in the band and I was like really and he's like you know he's like you should start a band and that was really like the germ of it I was like really and he's like yeah and that really kind of that led to me going well I, I'm I want to sing in a band I, you know I'll do it and I started my first band when I was 15 and we started playing and then I started writing songs and I was playing bass in that band. And then when that band, that first band kind of fell apart, I decided to start singing. And then the rest, you know, was history. I just went on to, you know, I, I started that one band and then that kind of fell apart. And then when I decided to move to L.A., I had, you know, at that point I'd been in bands for, you know, probably seven or eight years. So I had the experience underneath my belt so that when I got to L.A. and I met the guys um, from Chicago to start Wax, it was just a perfect match because, I'd had all that experience in Northern California and kind of knew what I wanted to do. And then the guys in Wax, we got together and it just really clicked. Awesome. So how does being in Wax take you to starting Side One Dummy? Um, because we got dropped. Wax got signed originally uh, in the in like I want to say we got signed in 90 to – originally we got signed to a label called Charisma. And then while we were signed – while we were making the record for Charisma, they got bought by Virgin Records and Virgin Records at that time owned caroline records mm -hmm. and they said hey why don't we put the wax record out on caroline and, and i was stoked because at that point caroline records had everyone you know from the bad brains to naked mm -hmm. reagan so i was like yeah let's do it and we basically kind of got shuffled around you know our first record came out on caroline and then our second record when we turned it into to be on virgin at that time you know pop punk hadn't happened yet you know green day hadn't released a record yet um you know, Offspring, Rancid, none of those guys, you know, were around. So that that whole punk rock thing that happened in, you know, mid 90s hadn't happened yet. So then when we 
end up getting dropped from Caroline, I was like, man, I, I, I still want to put out our record. So I started side one and I put out the record. And that was when being on the radio was like a huge deal. And one of the songs, California got picked up by uh, K-Rock here in Los Angeles. And then that really catapulted us to all of a sudden having all these labels want to sign us again. And the only thing was, is I was like, look, you know what? I'm cool if Wax is on another label, but I'm going to keep Side One Dummy going. And that was when I went into a partnership with my partner, Bill Armstrong. And we've been partners and had Side One for the last 23 years. It's funny you saying this thing about like how Offspring Rancid had to happen because, you know, I got into the band when I heard uh, California at the time it came out and it's like funny because like I didn't think of you guys as like a Southern California punk band I was like oh this is a cool alternative band and then but now yeah. in hindsight obviously I'm like oh yeah you guys were a punk band but I didn't know punk yet yeah you know what's funny though you're you're right though I mean you know what you you actually you're actually right in thinking your first thoughts like hey this isn't a punk band this is a this is an indie band because the only thing punk the only thing punk about wax was that i i was i was i was a punker that was the only mm. thing the other guys in the band weren't you know they were all like they were the ones that turned me on to the replacements they were the guys mm. that turned me on to the pixies they were the guys that turned me on to cheap trick i mean they turned me on those guys were way more versed in music in different styles than i was so, you know what I'm saying? So by the time I met those guys, you know, they, they were turning me on to all of those bands I just mentioned. And the guitar player, you know, they liked punk rock, but they wanted Wax to be something more than a punk band. But the thing that worked out was my whole background was punk rock. So then I kind of brought the DIY aspect of putting out your own records, booking your own tours. They didn't, you know, they'd never done any of that. So they were like, wow, like this guy knows how to, you know, get us shows and this guy knows how to, you know, uh, help us, you know, play live. And then, uh, and then, and then I turned them on to a lot of bands that they, you know, that they were, they, that they hadn't been into. Like, I don't know if the clash was like as important as it was to them as it was to me. And then obviously the Ramones and kind of that, um, Northern, and then also like a lot of the harder stuff that was coming out of Northern California. Like I was really influenced by that. A lot of the bands like that I loved at that time coming out of California were like bands like this band called Los Avidados and this other band called Code of Honor. Like they were really the like what I was into. So when I hooked up with the guys in Wax, they, you were right. You know, they were they were super into alternative music. You know, they I remember they you know I met those guys at a Goo Goo Dolls show. Oh, I mean, that's, that, funny. that's how. We, that's how we all hooked up. We all we all went to see the Goo Goo Dolls when they came out with the Hold Me Up record. Um, and I was fully – I was like, oh, wow, man. Goo Goo Dolls are cool. And then this band from – it was on Sub Pop called The Fluid had just come through. And I was really – I was really into the fluid and I was like, wow, man, the fluid and Goo Goo Dolls. And in my eye, in my mind, I was like, I want to start a band like that. So mm. when I met the guys in Wax, it, it just worked out because they were, their whole background was all of that alternative indie music that was going on. My background was punk rock, but I would say, you know, they really helped me as a singer and a songwriter to really kind of reinvent myself as a singer because before in my other bands, I was a punk rock singer, but when I got into Wax, Obviously, like you said, it sounded more indie alternative than it did punk rock. But that was, you know, and then, you know, we all we brought the punk rock aspect to, you know, I would say the show and just our our attitude out there. But, yeah, you were you were right in your first assumption. That's funny. I, I mean, there's definitely the, the punk attitude uh, in there. And it's funny you saying like Pixies are replacements. I'm like, ah, and there it is. Oh, yeah. So 
Take me then to how you get to doing comedy. I mean, for me, what ended up happening was, so, you know, I, I play, you know, I played music from the time I was 15 years old to about 33 years old. So, you know, that's like what, 20 years, mm -hmm. 20 or, you know, 20 years. So I'm playing music nonstop for 20 years, touring constantly. And then right around 33, uh, I had started a band called 22 Jacks and, and that band I was super into because I was playing with all these people that I admired over the last 20 years. And I got to play with a lot of guys I met on the road. And, and more importantly, I got to play with this guy, Steve Soto, who started the adolescence. Yeah. And he would, you know, they were a huge inspiration to me as a kid growing up. And I was lucky enough to become friends with Steve and Steve, when I moved to LA, you, you know, was always, you know, he was one of the first people I was hanging out with and mm. I would go and visit him and down in the OC and, and he was just, you know, he was with me during the whole time that I was in wax too. He was always, you know, a part of everything. We did a lot of shows together. He was in another band at that time, but Steve Soto was a guy that I always admired songwriting and, and we just, we just had a lot in common. So when wax ended, the first guy I called was Steve Soto and I'm like, let's start a band. Mm. He's like, let's do it. So, you know, when we started 22 Jacks, that was great. We, we did, three albums and it was awesome but it also got to a point where i kind of felt that as a singer i didn't know it at the time but i just i wasn't i wasn't really learning anything anymore and i really i really i kind of like that creative muscle i don't think was being like I had used it enough. It's almost like a pitcher, you know, like my arm was thrown out, you know, like mm. I just, I, I, I had toured so much. I'd, I, you know, had so many great experiences, but I, there was, I didn't know really like what the next thing for me to do was. And that was right around the time that side one dummy had been around for a couple of years. And at that time we signed this band flogging Molly. Mm. And the only difference was when we signed Flag and Molly, like up until that point, all the bands that were on side one, you know, we, we were a small label at that point. It was just me and my partner. And we were kind of trying to figure out what we were going to do. But when we signed Flag and Molly, it was, you know, the first time I signed a band of people that like I didn't really know. Like they, they were like looking to me as a label, not like, hey, man, you're in a band. They were like, look, you're the guy that owns our label and you and your partner, like, are you going to, you know, what are you going to do to, to, to have us break through? And I remember I felt like a responsibility. I was like, oh shit, man. I don't want to be the guy. I don't want to be the guy that signs bands and then he's in a band. And then, you know, because there's a lot of those labels that just, totally. you know, it's just, yeah, they just kind of turn into like a, a vanity thing. Like, oh yeah, I don't know. You know, you're like, is it a label or is it just a way for you to hang out with bands? You know, mm -hmm. like that. And I didn't want to be that guy. And and I was like, all right. So then I, I, I literally made a conscious decision. Then I'm like, I'm just going to focus on side one dummy. And I was kind of bummed because I was like, oh man, like I've been singing in band since I was 15. But I remember I was out one night and um, it was after 22 Jacks was over for a little while. And when I showed up at a live show, I was working with some bands at, at the time and, and, and it was just like a natural progression. Like I realized, you know, everyone was around me just kind of perceived me as that guy anyway. Like, yeah, dude you're doing side one now. Like no one, no one came up to me and said, Oh God, dude, what's going on? When are you going to sing again? You know, like, mm. so like, I was like, okay. So I just really focused on side one. And from about the time I was 33 to 44, that's all I did. Just side one dummy, side one dummy, side one dummy. And that was when the label really took off. You know, we, my partner and I really had a great run, you know, um, the bigger bands that we signed at that point, you know, that's when we signed Gogo -Go Bordello, Flog and Molly, you know, obviously had a huge run, Gaslight Anthem. Those three were like the real bigger bands. And then, 
I would say most recently we've had another, you know, huge push with the label because, or not a huge push, but a, a reinvention now mm-hmm. because the people that work at side one, you know, they're, they're responsible for Jeff Rosenstock. They're responsible for pup. They're responsible for AJ day. They're responsible for Chris Farron. You know, we just started working with warriors. Um, so many great bands. And what's great is we're having that resurgence with the label that we had, you know, 10 years ago. And it's, and it's really being driven by, you know, there's the people that work there, they've driven the whole ship and, and it's, and it, as a guy that owns it, it's cool to sit, um, you know, on the sideline and watch, watch it, watch people get as excited about Jeff Rosenstock and pup as they did about gaslight anthem and flogging Molly. And in some ways even more, you know, cause yeah. it's like, it, it's a real scene of music, you know? That was a conscious, you know, that was a conscious effort to stop playing music. But, you know, in the back of my mind, like I always tell people, like I never wanted to own a label. I Mm. never wanted to man. I never wanted to own a label. I never wanted to manage bands. I never thought I would do business. I, that was something I never, ever, ever, ever like thought about. Whereas there's other people that were like, oh yeah, I was always going to be on the business end or on the booking end or on the management. For me, I just discovered I was really good at doing it. You know, I was just good at it. And I was able to like drop into that role as a label owner, drop into that role as a manager, just because I'm good at letting and helping people figure out what they need to do with their career. I'm just, I'm just good at that. Like I have that, that, I don't know, that third eye that I can be like, Hey, this is, this is what you need to do. And, uh, I don't know. I've just always been that guy, but I never, I never thought like, Oh yeah, I'm going to sign I'm going to start a label and that's what we're going to do. I only started the label to put out my own music. That was the only reason I did it. You know, I was like, yeah, I need someone to put out my own record. And then what ended up happening was I'm like, Oh yeah, the swinging editors are my friends. I'm going to put out their record. And then you do that. And then, Hey man, you know, Matt Hensley from this band called Flogging Molly needs to put a record out. Let's do that. You know, you just start you just start signing what you love and what you can, what you feel you can help. But the thing was, I wasn't on. You know, I was missing being on stage, and I was trying to figure out like, how can I get back on, back on stage? I know I didn't want to play music because at that point, a lot of my a lot of my friends were like picking up the acoustic guitar, and and I was like, yeah, that's not really my thing. And then I had an opportunity to do a reunion show with Wax, and I did that. Mm. But I realized that's not really my thing because, you know, now I'm 40-something years old, and these songs I wrote when I was 20, that's not really that's not really doing it for me. And also, I was just trying to figure out, you know, trying to figure a path way back, you know, back to the stage. And at a certain point, you know, I was doing radio in Los Angeles, and, and that was that was super fun because it was giving me an opportunity to kind of have a, a reason to like you play music and then you know when you're talking about the songs in a strange way you kind of are performing because you're talking about a song or maybe telling a story before you go into another song on air and I and I really liked that mm. and I got an idea at that point to write this one man show I'd always had this idea like hey I'm going to do a storytelling show of you know, with photographs and just kind of like, uh, you know, it'd be like music and photographs and then some stories to accompany it. And I wrote this show called California Calling. And I wrote that in like, you know, I wrote that at the very beginning. And I did it one night at this club in Hollywood and it went really well. And then there was a guy there that ran another club called the Largo. And he was like, or he saw a clip of it on YouTube and he was like, you got to come here and do your show. And I didn't even know what the Largo was, but that was like, where that was this venue in LA, it still exists that like Patton Oswalt and Sarah Silverman and all those guys, Zach Galifianakis, like they all, that's where they all hung out and worked out. So I came in there and I came in there and I was doing my show 
and I really enjoyed doing it. And then um, a woman from the improv saw it and she was like, you should come and do your show there. I'd never even been in the improv. Hmm. I did the show there. I really liked the vibe. And then at the end of the night, she's like, hey, if you ever want to come back and do what you do in an hour, but try to do it in 10 minutes or, you know, five or seven, you, 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 you know, I'll put you up. And I was like, wow. So I kept doing the one man show, California Calling for a couple more years. And that kind of worked on my chops. But I wasn't doing stand-up. I was doing storytelling. And, mm. then, and then what ended up happening is that seven years ago, I was like, you know what? I want to just do stand-up. And everyone was like, really? And I was like, yeah. And then, you know, it was funny because I learned right away, you know, the difference between the two of them. And when I went out and started doing stand-up, I just really dove into it. No different than I dove into when I was in a band. Just like, I just made it my priority, like every single night going out and seeing comics, being a part of shows. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to work on this. And for the last seven years, that's all I did. And then it just kind of all came together. And I kind of figured out a way to combine like my storytelling with the framework of stand-up and, but also keep it I feel like it's still my own thing. Like it's not, doesn't sound like someone else's thing. Mm. And it just, it just all, it all kind of came together. Like I kind of, and you know, the whole time I've been doing stand up, I, I only, I come with, I come from such a place of like music. So even when I'm, you know, when I'm writing material, I, I think of like, like stand up, like I can, like, like stand up to me is like writing a song only because that's the only way I can like write, you know, mm. just because of my background. Like I don't, even when I do a show, I always think of like, all right, what's the closer? What's the opener? Where, you know, mm. what do I have here? You know, I just think of jokes and stories as songs. And, and that's just, I, I can't really shake that, uh, that work method just because of being a part of it. And, and, and they, you know, a lot of comics say, like, yeah, stand up is like jazz, you know, it's free form. And, and I totally understand why there's that comparison. Mm. Um, so what is the process for getting ready for your, uh, building, uh, this record you just put out? Um, the process for doing that was just a ton of shows going on the road and writing, 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 getting rid of stuff, putting new stuff in, listening, writing, listening, listening, writing, listening more, writing, uh, just going up, trying. And the thing is, is that the only way to do it is you have to get up and try the material out. It's not like you can't, you can't do stand up like you can with music, like, Oh, I'll play my guitar. You'll learn the lyrics. All right, let's do the song. It'll sound great. You have to go out and try the material. And sometimes at least for me, I'll come up with this huge, you know, this, this big idea and none of it'll work. And then something I say at the end or some thought comes to mind while it's not working, that gets the laugh. And then you got to mm. listen and go, Oh, wow. Okay. When I said all of this, no one cared. But when I said this, people laugh. And then you go, is there, is there something more there? And then you might have one line of a, of a bit that got the laugh. And when you start doing stand-up, you're just like, oh, fuck, I don't care. That line got a laugh. I'm going to say it. But then that's why a lot of times you'll see comics have a set that's kind of all over the place. You're like, all right, one minute he's talking about this. The next minute he's talking about that. That's just because you're just – they just have bits that are working and they just go, yeah, I'm going to go up and do those bits that work. And there's no real – there's no real beginning, middle, and an end to it. 
And one of the things that I wanted to do, like personally, is I wanted my album, you know, to have a beginning, a middle and an end. Like I wanted it to be like a record, like, you know, that that you if you listen to it from start to finish, you're like, oh, wow. okay, we started here and he was saying this and then we ended here. That makes sense. And then also that, that was just super important to me. And that took, you know, that took a lot of time to figure that out. Hi, I'm going to just take one second to tell you about something that if you're listening to this podcast, you will probably be interested in. Noise Creators put out a book called The 30-Minute Guide to Getting More Fans. It's by me, Jesse Cannon. I wrote a book called Get More Fans, The DIY Guide to the New Music Business. That's been one of the best-selling books on how to build a fan base for your band. That book is really long and detailed. What we decided to do, though, is make a smaller version of that book that you can read in under 30 minutes that tells you all about how you can build a fan base for your band. I'm sure you've noticed there's been far too many people popping up in your Facebook news feed slinging information on how to build a fan base for a subscription or $100 or something. But Noise Creators was founded because we saw the potential to make the music world a better place. When I started writing about the music business over eight years ago, I always wanted to just teach all the bands that I thought had potential how to do this because I saw too many bands not build themselves up that I thought were the world should hear. So this book has all that knowledge that I learned building fan bases for bands, producing and working in the music business for years. I managed a bunch of successful bands in the past, and this is how I got them to be more than a band that just their hometown knew about. So if you head over to noisecreators.com under the more tab that says ebook, you can get it there for free. All you have to do is enter your email address or your Twitter address. Thanks for taking the time to check this out. I'm always with this thing, and uh, I know what we were talking before, we were saying the thing of like, bands have to make the music they want to hear in order for it to be good and express themselves. But then you talk about with comedy, I think like one of the weirdest creative things is that like, you're like, first, like, I think this is funny, and then you have to figure out how to make the audience react. Is there a way you kind of square that when you're trying to figure that out of like, I find this funny, why is this not working? Like, what does that look like? The thing I always remember, or the thing that I always try to keep in mind is like, if something, if I say something to myself or I'm working out something and I'm like, and it makes me laugh, I'm always like, I'm going to do that because that made me laugh. And the only reason I do that is because it feels good. I'm like, oh, that's funny to me. That's, that's a funny, that's a funny concept. That's a funny, that's funny that that might happen. Like, and it makes me laugh and I feel like if something truly makes you laugh the audience picks up on that they're like oh man he thinks that's funny you know like that and I and I just I really believe that whereas you know whenever I in the beginning you know you try to write stuff that that isn't real and and you you know that's just a natural progression it's like fictional you're like Okay, I'm gonna. Oh, I, oh, wouldn't it be funny if this happened when I went to Trader Joe's? Or wouldn't it be funny if this happened? And 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 when you do that, it, you know, I feel like you're selling it so hard that the, that it's it, that you might get laughs, and and sometimes those bits do work, but the, but they're not real. Whereas as soon as you really start telling what's really going on in your life stuff that you might not think's funny like you may, you know you might have a bit about you know you might have a bit about hey uh you know like with me a lot of my bits are going to be about you know my kids and the fact that i have teenagers and that i fought authority my whole life mm. and now i am the authority and i'm just i'm not like there's this constant tug of war so for me that's really not that funny but for someone else they're like oh, oh that sounds like what do you mean and i'm like i don't know like yeah how do you deal with you know 
my daughter wanted to have a party and she asked me, Hey dad, can I have a party? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. You know? And she was like, okay. And it was like, she's like, can we get music? And I was like, yeah. And then she's like, dad, can we get, can we get, uh, you know, food. And I was like, absolutely. And like, we're planning this thing together. And then she said, dad, one more thing. And I said, yeah, anything you want. She said, can you not come to the party? <laughs> so, you know, like, but like that really happened, but mm-hmm. like see to you, that's fun. You're like, Oh shit. That's fun. Like that just made you laugh. Cause mm-hmm. you're like, Oh my God. Like to me, that's not funny. I was bummed. I was like, yep. fuck, are you serious? Like, how does that work that I have to pay for everything? And I can't even like, this is my house. You know? Like, <laughs> so you know what I'm saying? All of that right there is true, real, that happened. This is real. Like this is straight up real. And it, and it, and when I, I feel like when you really throw those things out there, that are real, those are the things that get the biggest laugh. And sometimes it's not even funny to you. You're like, gosh, I I, I don't want my daughter to not invite me to the party. I want to go to the party. But see, even that's funny. I want to go to the party. Mm-hmm. Well, dude, you're you know, you're almost 50 years old and you still want to go to the party? Hell yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so my point being is my point being is, you know, you know, and everyone's that's ever been in a comedy or ever anyone that's ever picked up a mic and said, Hey man, I want to try to, I want to try to do this. You always come across a quote that Richard Pryor said. And it's something to the, I don't know it word for word, but it's something to the effect of if you're honest, the funny will come. Like it mm. just, just, just be truthful and be honest. And that's why when you heard Richard Pryor talk about growing up in a whorehouse or growing mm. up with, you know, with in the time that he grew up in these crazy things that were going on with him and all the way down to his, you know, when, when he burned himself from freebasing, like he was honest. Yeah, dude, I'm sitting in the hospital, my skin falling off my body. And the guy asked me for an autograph. What the fuck? Like, you know, that's like that. I always think of that joke he'd sold like when he was dying of uh, MS about it. He's like, I see a pretty girl and my muscles malfunction. So now my leg stands up straight. And it's like, I fucking kill. I remember that joke for 10 years now. Yeah. You know, and and there you go. So it's like, you know, a guy making a joke about MS and, and, and that, you know, that, that's, that, that's true, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, for me, it's really all about trying to be as honest as you can and really that to me is at least for me that's mm. where the joke comes from and the and that's where i can find the material but and i don't really know any other way to do it and it's no different than when i was writing music you know i had to, i had to be inspired by something and that was when you know that that was how i did it that's rad so i always think one of the things that defines a label is like how they react when they get something from an artist they don't like has that ever happened and how did you handle that by the time you sign a band like i've always felt this way is that my job and bill's job and the people at side one and and this goes like right now as as side one you know, lives and breathes is that you, by the time you say to someone, Hey man, I want to work with you. Hey, I want to put your music out. Hey, I want to, I want to be a part of your career. I want to be a part of your recording music. I want to be a part of everything you're doing by that. My personal opinion, and and this is how my partner and I started the label was by the time you say that you're not signing them to change them. You're not putting their music out to change them. You're, you're just wanting to be a part of the wave that this band is. You want to be a part of the momentum of it. So the last thing we've ever done is whether it's a band, um, signing a band, we've never said, okay, yeah, Hey, you're flogging Molly. Hey, lose the Irish accent. You know, like that, (laughs) that's not why you're signing them, you know? 
uh, hey, Brian Fallon, you know, lose the Bruce Springsteen-esque of your, you know, you don't do that. You, you, you say, hey, man, just keep doing what you're doing. And my gig is to create opportunities for you. And hopefully these opportunities create more opportunities for people to find out about what your music's about. And then all of a sudden you go from playing in front of 200 people to 2,000 to 25,000 and so on. And that's been our goal from, from day one. And we've stuck to it. And we've had plenty of times where, you know, a band turns in, you know, not plenty of times, but we, you know, there's a few times where a band turns in a record or they start going in a direction. And, and what we want, what we won't say is, oh, we're not putting the record out. We don't, we don't want anything to do with that because you're supposed to sound like this. But what we will say, we're not yes, yes, men and yes, women will be, okay, I'll be honest with you. I think, you know, you want me to tell you really what I think about this. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't, uh, I don't think this particularly, you know, is the right move for you to do right now. Now, nine times out of 10, the band will say, well, sorry, man, that's what we want to do. And I always have said to my bands and anyone I ever managed, I've always said, look, whatever you want to do, you make the call. And once the decision's made, I'll never bring it up again. And I always say, but I want to go on record right now saying, I don't think this is the right move. And these are the reasons why. And there's only been, and I always say, Hey man, think about it for tonight or the week and let's talk, you know, like after you have some time to digest everything I said, let's talk again. And there's only been a handful of times, like so small where the band goes or the, you know, people in the band go, Nope, we're fucking doing it this way. And I go, okay, cool. Get mm. fucking, let's go get rad. Um, and I never bring it up again for the most of the time. What's happened is the band or the musician will go like, or the artist will go, Hey, you know what, man, I thought about what you said. And then you kind of come up with a hybrid of, you know, Hey, instead of a whole album where we play ukulele, <laughs> like, why don't we kind of, we're going to have one song on there that has ukulele. And then is it cool? I'd like to take the other seven songs. And then like, I want to do a solo ukulele record. And you're like, there you go, bro. You totally mm. figured it out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> totally. Not that any, you know, I don't, I don't have, I don't really have a ukulele example, but that would be the example for, for that. And there's only been, a, you know, I'm, you know, but we always, I mean, dude, there, you know, there's been bands. I remember this one band did a whole record that was a total different sound for them and they were adamant about it and they were like passionate. They're like, we're doing this record this way. And I remember saying to them, all right, man, I'm just letting you know, I, I just have to go on record. And they're like, well, too bad. And then they made their record and I can't remember, you know, it didn't, it didn't do as well as they wanted it to. And, of course, they held on to their vision, but at a certain point, they were like, "Yeah, you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe we should have done a little bit of a combo of both people's ideas." But my, mm. but you know what? At the end of the day, even when I, I think it's great when a band takes a shot and and says, "Hey, we're going to do something different," because that's why you do it. That's why mm -hmm. you get into this business. You don't, you know, if you wanted to do everything the same, then you, you know, you go, you go to college, you meet a, a uh, you know, your person, you get married, you get the house, you have the two kids, you do the same job every day, and you try to hide from your boss so that you don't get fired that's not why you get into show business you know you don't get into show business so you can hide you get into show business so that it's like check it out look at me here i am oh i'm gonna go this way i'm gonna go that way and as an artist you create art so when an artist i love you know i mean think about bob dylan or mm. you know any great artist like you know, when Dylan stopped playing acoustic, people were pissed and they were bummed. And when and he comes out and he has the white makeup on and, and he's playing electric, they were mad. They were like, how dare you? But, you know, if he wouldn't have done that, then we wouldn't have Dylan today, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and that's why when a band says, check it out, whole record's all going to be recorded by kazoos. I'm <laughs> like, I'm not, you know, dude, I'm just going to go on record saying, 
I don't know how that's going to go over, but if that's your vision and that's truly what you want to do, then I got to trust you because you're the artist and I'm into what you're doing. And if you tell me that that's going to be cool, then I got to trust that it is. And, and that's the reason, you know, I think bands have worked with side one because we don't get involved with their, their songwriting. But if they ask me what I think and, you know, and go, Hey man, what do you think about this? And they do, then I'm going to be honest. And, and that, that to me is the relationship right there. It's not a, it's not a us against them or them against us. It's, it's meant to be a collaboration. At the end of the day, it's, it's what the artist wants to do. Over, over the years with running Side One Dummy, you're going to have moments in time when the band has an idea of what they want to do. And for the most part, we always just facilitated their vision. And I mean, not even for the most part, that's our gig. If we sign the band, we're, I, I've never signed the band and said, hey, all right, so Flogging Molly or Gaslight Anthem. Hey, uh, Gaslight Anthem, lose the, lose the you know, Jersey uh, Springsteen mm-hmm. X part of your band. Well, why would you do that? You signed it, well, you know, or Flogging Molly, hey, can you be less Irish? <laughs> like that was never that was never a part of the plan. It was like by the time Bill and I would say, "Hey man, we want to sign this band," or even now with the bands that are on side one, like Jeff Rosenstock and Pop and and AJJ and all these bands. You know, if we're gonna work with them, we're like, just keep doing what you're doing because we love that. Now, sometimes you get to a crossroads where someone might not want to take a tour with a bigger band because they feel that it it uh it doesn't put them in the light that they want to be in. Or I remember a certain artists not wanting to go to England to do Top of the Pops, which was a huge shot in the arm for their career. But they were tired and they were burned out and they were they they were just like, I can't go. And, but then that's where I would step in and say, look, I'm only calling you because I feel it's an important enough decision to have another discussion again about the final decision you're going to make. And I always preface it with, and I, and you can ask anyone on side one, I'd always say, look, at the end of the day, whatever you say, that answer is going to be the answer that we're going to do. But I got to go on record and say, like, I think you should go, or I think you should take the tour, or I think the record should be remixed, or I got to go on record saying, I don't think this should be the lead off single. Like I would say that to the band and then they would, I always felt like they respected that. Like, Hey man, so basically you're saying if we don't want to do this, we don't have to, but you want to go on record just so that down the road we go, yeah, you know, remember Mm. Joe did say we maybe should do that. And I'll say for the most, you know, I would say it would, in my dealings, it would, it usually went, you know, like for the most part, but if someone, if I was calling them, then they knew like, all right, man, you know what? This is the first time in like three years we've worked with this guy. And he's, this is the first time he's question, you know, he's, he's saying, Hey, let's take a look at this decision again. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. So, then I, you know, so, so it was always nice because they were like, Oh, cool. This guy isn't writing me all the time. Like, Hey dude, you should do this. Well, we don't want it. Well, you should. Okay. And then the next week, well, you know, you should do, you know, it was always like super major decisions that we would have those conversations. It wouldn't, it wasn't, it wasn't just like, we're going to have them to have them so that I have something to do that day. It was like, I'm only going to, I'm only going to bring in my opinion. If it really, I think is something that they should, they should reconsider. And for the most part, man, and there was times where a band would say, you know what, man, thanks. Thanks for the call, but we're not into it. Okay, mm-hmm. thanks, man. And there was times where they said, "Hey, man, thanks for the call." And you know what? We, we thought about it. Okay, we're gonna 
you're right. I think we should. And it wasn't so much a you're right. It was like, hey, after thinking about it, that might be a good call for us to do. Mm. And then there were times where bands said, gosh, I wish we would have listened to you. You were right. Yeah. And, you know, and then at that point, I was like, I'd always be like, dude, no worries. Let's, let's, you know, let's figure out, you know, let's move forward. But it was always a, it was always a back and forth. It was never a my way or the highway vibe. That was, that was one thing that Bill and I never, ever wanted to bring into the picture. And there was times, dude, I'm not going to lie. I remember one band couldn't do, uh, I worked fucking so hard to get a band on Letterman. And it was done. They had the, it was all, it was all ready to go. And, and they just, they just couldn't, you know, it couldn't happen. And, and it was, it was frustrating on both parts because I, I really felt at that moment that would be a game changer for them career-wise. But we never, there was never, it's so important that if you're going to work with an artist, you know, your job is to sign great talent and let that talent develop, mm-hmm. not sign great talent and then change it into what you want it to be. Yes. You got to let, you got to, you know, but if you're going to, your gig is a, you, you know, the music business, your gig not to, uh, to, change what someone's doing your gig is to enhance it and give it opportunities to succeed by the time you ask someone hey man i want to put your music out you better you better know what you want from that you know you better under you better know that you're understanding that band and not trying to change them i like that so I'd be remiss since this is a podcast that's often about advice to younger musicians to not ask what impresses you with a band before you've signed them usually? Live show. Mm. Let's, I'm all about the live show. Like, I mean, 100%. I would say this, for the, for the bands that are on Side One Dummy, the ones that I've been 100% involved with, signing myself, all the way to the bands that have been signed by the new the new crew of people that work there, one thing that I love is that even if you don't like a band on side one dummy, you could you can't go and see them live and not say they deliver. Like like you know, you might you you might say like, Yeah, you know what, man? Uh, I'm not a real fan of Puff. I'm not a fan. You're like, Okay. And then you'd go see him live and you'd be like, Well, I will say this, man, those guys go for it on stage. That was a great show. Like, wow. Or uh you know, I'm not a real fan of uh Jeff Rosenstock. But you can't watch Jeff Rosenstock and not truly believe that every word he is singing at that particular moment in time is the most important thought idea that is running through his veins. Like he's not phoning it in. And and I'd be like, yeah. And that's why I love working with Jeff Rosenstock. But I didn't sign Jeff Rosenstock. That was something that someone said, you should, I mean, you know, you should check Jeff out. And that was brought to me by someone that worked at the company that had followed his whole career. And all I did was like, go, yeah, yeah, wow, I like that. And then the rest is history. But that was that was once again the staff at Side One sharing that common idea and thought that that I've had is that it's all about the live show from day one. It's always been about the live show. Now thinking about it, I'm like, ah, that does tie together every band I like on the label. So that that, that does make sense. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, for the, yeah, there's no, you know, you, you could say, you know, Knocko Bear, like, ah, I'm not really into, you know, the jam spiritual band. Well, you, you, know, you go see Knocko live, you're going to be like, wow, that guy delivers. Whew. Mm. You know, like, you know, for a little guy, he has a big voice, man. And wow, he's really filling up this room with a lot of energy. Um, that, you know, even going back to, you know, the the harder bands that we had on the label. You know, you might not be a fan of se- you know, Seven Seconds, but you can't deny the, the importance of that band and mm-hmm. how great they are live. Totally. Is there any advice you can impart to younger artists? The thing that I would say to younger artists is 
with everything that's out there in the, in the world, technology, social media, don't get so wrapped up in how many people are following you on Instagram and how many people are on you know, your Facebook page. Really focus on your art and your songwriting and ask yourself, is this really what you want to do? And, and if it is, then go 100%. I feel that a lot of times, sometimes people are in one foot in, one foot out. Mm. And um, I feel that great art, and this is just my personal opinion, opinion, I feel that great art comes from no backup plan. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, I, I always trip out when I meet someone and it's, and it's cool when they're like, yeah, I'm doing the band, but I'm also doing this and I'm doing that. And, you know, and you're like, wow, that's, well, you know what? That's a really smart way to look at it. Like you have other things going on if your band doesn't make it, or you have other things going on in your life. Um, you know, for the most part, I feel that there needs to be a moment in time. I'm not saying that you need to live this way your entire life, but I really do believe there needs to be a moment in time where it needs to be sink or swim, where if you don't, if you don't make it with your music and your art, you don't eat. And mm-hmm. I think that if you have that hanging over your shoulders and you have that weight on your mind, that that creates great art and truly gets down to the true germ of what you are trying to get out and really has that once again that 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 signal between you and the universe and what it's trying to give to you to, you know it's like it's like all of these ideas and songs and everything coming through you i really feel that that's when you get to the good stuff that when you when you when you have that if you if you know hey man it doesn't happen with my band i'm still gonna get a check from my parents while i live at this house and they're helping mm-hmm. me make my music or hey if it doesn't it doesn't 